Emily writes, now that you're back in Colorado, please do Boulder Dude again. We, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> uh, dude. <laughs> that is Brailsford, man. What's he thinking, dude? <laughs> this guy. Dude needs to chill, bro. She needs to chill, bro. That's all I'm saying. That's not a Taylor Finney impersonation. <laughs> Let's face it, you hate the video conferencing system at your office. The IT guy has to set up every call because you can't make it work, the quality is terrible, connecting in your colleagues who are traveling out of the country, driving, or working from home, or even vacationing in remote locale is a disaster. And if you want to video call a customer, conduct an interview, or host a company meeting, well, just forget about it. LifeSize has the answer to all your conferencing woes. You will love LifeSize because it's simple, whether you're using integrated life-size conference room cameras or the laptop and mobile apps. It's also beautiful HD quality, connects to everything, and includes all the video, audio, and web conferencing capabilities you need, along with instant recording and streaming for up to 10,000 viewers. Your IT team will love LifeSize because it's easy to deploy and manage. It's enterprise-ready, and it's a great value. Check it out and start a free trial at LifeSize.com. At LifeSize... We connect people to make their workplace great. All right, welcome back to the Stages podcast covering stage 16, the day after the rest day. Not an uneventful day on, on a lot of levels, JB. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was A, first and foremost, windy, super windy, mm-hmm. which you can, as watching the, the, the coverage, you see the, when those flags are whipping like that, you know it's windy. And just a lumpy technical day that uh, that saw, you know, saw a lot of people exposed. Marcel Kittle was probably the biggest loser of the day, or the biggest, uh, the person who suffered the most. Gets dropped on that first climb, doesn't ever come back, so he can't contest the sprint. But but it, towards the end, this felt this peloton just blew apart in the wind, and you had a group of thirty sprinting uh, for the finish, and Michael Matthews gets another one, and. Which I think, like I've never in my life cared about the green jersey. It's now, now you're into it's it. now. Well, it's getting to the point, and I actually had to like start studying the green jersey and like how they give away the points. And I didn't realize that every there's different classifications. I should have known all this. There's different cla- classifications for the days, but he's getting close enough to Marcel Kittle, and we talked about it two days ago that it could come down to Paris. That'll make. I mean, that's a boring day, right? I mean, it's. It's it's a it's a show and a and then a quick sprint. Right, right? It's, a, it's a it's a bit of a promenade, yep. but it could make that day very exciting. They're only twenty nine points apart, so twenty nine points apart for the green jersey this far in is pretty rare. It gives us something to be excited about. It does, and it gives us something to because what's going to happen? Not to get into tomorrow too much, but since we're talking about the the green jersey, you know, tomorrow there's a category two climb very early on the stage. Michael Matthews is going to do everything he can to make it over over that climb. Obviously, Marcel Kittle, who couldn't get over the Cat 3 today, is not going to make it over that. And then they descend in immediately. So early on, just... So just, Matt Matthews is going to try to replicate his day today, for sure, right? Well, he wants those 20 points. Yeah. Would you say he's down? 29 points. So he, I suspect by tomorrow he'll be down 9 points. So this kind of leads to something interesting I, I really want to drill down on, on and, and hopefully you can explain. 
and, and you even said, I don't know much about the green jersey because my recollection that any, you know, any team that you were obviously the GC contender, contender you guys weren't worried about the right. green jersey. Right. Your team was okay. not built for that. So you're not paying attention to that. And yet you have Dan Martin today caught in the split because some team members are back there helping Kittle. So can like where I'm at, I'm going with this is like you have a team that has a GC contender and a green jersey contender right. can, it, can cause a lot of complications. Right. That's not a that's not a, a common thing. Typically teams they have to pick. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it, it has happened, uh, but typically they have to pick if they're riding for the GC for the overall for the yellow or if they want to bring a team uh, that's focused on green. Uh, you know, I was surprised Dan Martin was caught out. He's he's a heads up rider. He's a smart rider. Um, but it was Wendy. You saw those. We talked about it a week ago or so. And today was the perfect example of how that group splits and s- just snaps. It just takes one guy to to not be able to hold the mm-hmm. wheel in front of him. And and you know, obviously the guys in the front are going that fast that it just it, it blows the peloton apart. You know, describe how hard that is. You've got the best riders in the world. And, you know, as a limited amateur experience, like getting people to organize a second echelon and a proper echelon is impossible in amateur racing. But watching it, watching these the best in the world not be able to organize that. And then you see a long line of being guttered, as you called it. Yeah, put in the gutter. You put in the gutter. It's miserable. It's got to be awful, but that's where the split starts to happen. And so you'd think these guys are just at the level where they could just make the new echelon stay in the game, and the splits happen all over the place. They know it, and they get organized quick enough, and there could be 10 different teams and 10 different jerseys. They know know that they're in the split and that they have to you know they have to form this informal alliance and and, and work together the but it it never fails that those guys that are in the front that created the split i mean they're in the front because they're going the fastest and they're the strongest and 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 they know that they've uh, created a selection so that makes them go even faster it encourages them uh <clears throat> i watched that i was you just watch those days having been there and you're like oh just miserable miserable <laughs> it 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 it's a different kind of suffering. You think it only happens on a time trial and the climbs. Yeah. No, it's those it's, windy days are seem to be having more of an impact. Right. And you know one thing, and we talked about this, JB, and and you know, when when that split happened and Dan Martin lost, he went fifteen seconds down, twenty seconds down, thirty seconds down, and Froome and Sky and all the other G C contenders were at the front driving the front group. You know, for the average fan, you probably think they are driving that group to put time into Dan Martin. Mm-hmm. I would say, and Kittle, and, and well, Kittle was, <laughs> was eleven dog. minutes back. But they, my view of that is, they absolutely were not. They didn't even care about Dan Martin. They were riding that hard just to ensure that they that that group of a hundred didn't come back. Because who knows if if everybody comes back together, you stay in the crosswind or hit more crosswind. Who's to say you're not? The, the unlucky one that gets caught in the back or in the back half or in the so that that drives the pace and even forces the split more right but really that's just a survival mode so right. if they're if they're echeloning out in the crosswind you're fighting to stay in that top 20 30 guys saying you know just right. it's a protective thing right yeah. 
And that's what drove it faster, faster, faster. Right. All the way to the finish. By the way, I mean, that finish, I'm glad there wasn't 100 or 150. What were they going to do if there was 150 guys coming into that finish? Holy shit. There were some tie turns, if you didn't see it today. That, I mean, several bends in the last kilometer. Speaking of the finish, can, and, and we'll go back to or finish up on the green jersey thing. So I didn't, I looked up, I just Googled green jersey points and Wikipedia pops up and talks about the history of the green jersey and what it means and et cetera, et cetera. But they have this year, they have the breakdown of how they are awarding the points this year. So an intermediate sprint is 20 points to win. We should have, we should have looked up all this crap, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> to win a time trial is 20. Wikipedia saves the day. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> We should contribute. Uh, An individual time trial is 20 points, which y'all are at home thinking, uh, so what? Because Kittle and Matthews aren't time trials. Mark my words, if this is close, Michael Matthews is going to get points in the time trial. He can time trial his ass off. So if he gets gets 10th place in the time trial in Marseille, he gets six points. I'm telling you, this thing is coming down to Paris, and he can time trial. And he he'll he'll find the strength to do it because then in the final time trial you have a bunch of guys that that take it easy anyways. Mm-hmm. You might have 10, 20 guys that are going for it. He's going to get points in the time trial. And then the interesting thing is that for a quote unquote flat finish, flat stage finish, it says it's fifty points. I mean today looked pretty flat. It was windy, hilly early on, but that was a flat finish. A hilly finish, medium mountain stage is thirty. That's what they called today. I don't know about that. Hmm. That's funny that you're paying attention to this green jersey now for the first time. By the way, because we had a question days ago about <laughs> somebody remembered that I had the green jersey or I wore the green jersey once. And I don't know where it is, but but, but uh, Dave Letieri, my buddy in Santa Barbara, Fast Track Bikes, uh, has the green jersey. Ah, Send me a picture surfaced. of it. surfaced? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we, I have this. We found it. <laughs> hey, there was another thing that happened early on in t- today that I didn't quite understand. Uh, if you could shed some light, there was, it was very split up. There were what they were calling a hundred at one point, 116 riders in the break. Yep. And then 54 riders back in the Peloton. How is that group of 116, not the Peloton? That's, I was just going to stop you and say, what are you talking about? That is the Peloton. That's yeah. wasn't how they were describing it. I tell you what, the baller move of the day was Buhani and his teammate and one other guy going across three and a half minutes. I think it was. So they leave the Kittle group. They were dropped with him. Clearly, the team said, you have to you have to get him across. So he goes with a teammate across, a, and Sunweb is at the front driving this Peloton. They bridged three and a half minutes. Which is brutal. Dude, that's, that's like a baller move. And then, you know, then they miss the split. How about that? I mean, it's like a modern, it's like, it's a miracle that you make it across. Mm-hmm. I guess they're just a, that cashed after time trialing to yeah. make the split right by the way the sprint wasn't without drama M- michael matthews wins uh to to over deck and Kolb and, and edward bosenhagen bosenhagen was literally going five times as fast as them he just started too far back started too late if the finish line is 10 meters farther he easily wins but deck and Kolb, as you guys have watched at home was ranting and raving about being impeded and put into the barriers and uh I don't know. I don't. I don't. First of all, I, I haven't seen at least yet that a, that a protest has been filed, which says a lot. But he had, in my view, he had plenty of space. He never saw him hit the brakes. You never saw him stop pedaling. Yes, Michael Matthews was moving over a little bit, mm-hmm. but Deck and Culp still had a lane to come through on. 
I don't I don't know that people well you certainly can't compare it to the Sagan Cavendish thing and that was questionable. It was a lot more room than that. But I don't think people realize how much those bikes move around in a sprint. It, it's all over the place. All over is the, it not? And, and and I think it depends on the guy. I mean the the you know there there's some cowboys that just have that thing going everywhere. And to a degree are the sprinters like say you're taking that right hand side of the road and you're you've got the lead on the bike i mean isn't there some um uh strategy to slightly moving over and holding that that side giving them a little making them work for it right if you know i guess if you went to the letter of the law which clearly this sport does not do uh he was moving over but i it, it, it again no protest file that i can see of and and he had plenty of room to come through they're both lucky that, that that finish line was where it was because Edward Bosenhagen was about to blow their helmets off. He was coming so quick. I know we didn't really get a chance to go back and see if he got tied up a little bit, boxed in, and started late, or why he started late. I think he he was moving. Yeah, he he started too far back, and we we were uh, watched the Aussie feed for the for the. I like to listen to McEwen break down the sprints because he's the guy who who uh, who's been in those situations more than anybody else on TV and. He pointed it out. I mean, when the sprint started, Bostonhagen was six or seven back, and that's just think about that. Six six bike links is you call that whatever seven whatever it is. I mean, it's just too far back. You can't you can't close it. Well, one of your uh, I'd say favorite or you know one that you've been looking at and pick, picking to watch in the future is George Bennett, who uh, had to pull out today. But it's worth mentioning something. I hope we, I hope we didn't jinx him. I know. But it's back to something you said when the tour started and it was cold and rainy. Mm. And you were like, you've got to stay healthy. Like, I think people often forget how many stars have to align for you yep. to survive a three-week tour. And he got, staying healthy is one of them, and you're, you're sure. depleted. He's a young guy. He's a small rider. You, know, you never know why or how somebody gets sick. Uh, he got you know, some sort of a chest thing. Philippe Gilbert... Uh, another major star of this, of, of cycling and of this tour had a stomach issue. He dropped out. You know, it just, I mean, it's, we're two and a half weeks in and the body is, this is not a, this isn't a human event. I mean, this is an inhumane event. It, but the, what they put the bodies through are unlike anything uh, that, that the world of sports knows. And so it's easy to get sick in a, in a sense. Sad to see. I, I, I'm, I'm still... I'm still long George Bennett's stock, and uh, he's going to be an exciting one to watch in the future. I was, I, the coverage, you know, you saw that he was off the back, and then he just pulled the plug, which is sad to see. Well, yesterday was a rest day, and oh, we took a much-needed rest day from the podcast. Is it that, that bad? It's that, not that, that hard. <laughs> I'm joking. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm wondering. <laughs> I'm out here looking out the window uh, uh, in front of my house. There's a small peloton in front of my house. They're probably all waiting on you. No, and look, here comes ride. another pellet. What is going on? <laughs> T, you see that out there? Another day what in is Aspen. This, there is a there... group ride busting out in front of the Armstrong house. I mean, you're you're back in, tucked in a little neighborhood. I've seen no less than 100 bikes go by this morning. I know. What is the deal with that? They know that you're back in town, JB. Oh, is that it? Yeah, they, they see w- the, the Forward Podcast studio. They wanted to spot it. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the rest day. Because it was not yes. an uneventful it, rest day for one Primary reason. Again, it's the, the media battle continues, if you want to call it that. 
Um, give us your take on that, what's going on. There, we learned early on on this podcast that it's an option for the GC leader uh, to do a press conference right. or not. Right. And I didn't know this morning. I asked Lance, I said, did you do every press conference? You know, and that'd be every rest day that you're in, in yellow. And you did. I did. I think so. So what, what is happening there that they're avoiding the general press? Well, we talked about it. It's interesting because Team Sky is, is sponsored by a media outlet. Rupert Murdoch is the title sponsor and arguably the most powerful media person in the world. Whether you like his politics, his view, his perspective or not, he's that's him. And so uh, for the second rest day in a row, they chose, or Chris Froome chose, to not um, to not do a, a yellow jer- a press conference with a yellow jersey, which I said two days ago, I support that. So instead they give some canned statements and whatever. I mean he can do that and i and i like that move now the interesting thing was they still had some sort of a press gathering at at it's always at the hotel typically um and dave brailsford the director of the team you know the the uh, you know the the most powerful man in cycling right now uh tries to goes over to sees a group of journalists that are kind of walking in one of them is is a is a journalist for a, a cycling website called cyclingnews.com which i've known for a long time and in front of these group of journalists, he starts to berate this guy. You're an asshole. You write shit about me. You're not coming. He bans him from the press conference. I don't know about that. I can see both sides because I, I have a long history with cycling news. I don't think that they always, two things, know what they're talking about and B, are necessarily fair. And to quote Rupert, fair and balanced. But that's neither here nor there. Clearly, Brailsford thinks that he's been... Um, Picked on by by Cycling News, but to do that in front of all of those journalists, I see this trend with Dave Brail- Dave Brailsford that, and I'm just going to sum it up, and then I'll get in some detail. I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. The ending is shitty. Picking a fight with the media, all of it. It's both sides lose. It, it's just, it, it's not. I, I don't. He needs to put the shovel down and stop digging. A couple of things have happened. When my story unfolded in 2012, the entire sport had a reaction. And the reaction was, uh, you know, most people took a very staunch position towards cycling and clean cycling, and that's fine. But in so doing, Dave Brailsford and Team Sky tried way too hard. They implemented, well, they did three things. Number one, they said, this is, we are instituting a no-needle policy. They then go through the team and, and, and confront everybody that asks, asks them if they have a, pa- a doping past. And if they confess, they're fired. And number three, they start to allow journalists to be embedded in the team, primarily David Walsh, an old nemesis of mine. And I'm not, that story's done and over, but they embed David Walsh. Look at how all three of those worked out for him. And then we're going to get to number four, which was on the rest day. Number one, the no-needle policy came back and completely bit them in the ass when the, the Bradley Wiggins controversy unfolds over cortisone and Kinecourt and all these things. There's only one way to get that in your system, and it's a needle. Mm-hmm. So he didn't break any rules. He had a TUE. He, he was completely within the rules. But the rule that they broke was the one that Brailsford tried so hard to create just for public perception. So he broke his own rule 
And that's what fucked him. He'd been better off just to keep his mouth shut when all this was going on right? and so stay the, out of the line of so fire. So then number two, you fire everybody on the team that's had it. By the way, if you went through this Peloton and, and the, the cars driving behind and fired everybody that had a past, there'd be like three cars rolling along. Right. So, and then you had people within the team that denied their involvement in the past. Number three, they let Walsh be embedded in the team. And who is his main, his number one critic now? David Walsh. And so it's, it's, none of this has worked for him. Fast forward to two days ago where he gets in this confrontation. And this is my point. I've seen it. It's, it's got a bad ending. Stop. So how does he, st- do you call a truce? I don't know. Do you just go get a I think, I think coffee he, and say, look, we've no. got to bury this? I think Brailsford is, is obviously, look, he's, he's done a great job building that team. Um, but he's he's hard headed and stubborn. I don't think there's any truce. But it was it was a mistake. I can I can I've been in that position where you don't feel like you've been portrayed fairly. And and most of my life, that's probably I was on the wrong side of that. But uh, that was a mistake for him to take on. By the way, too, it made nobody even knew. I mean, if you're thinking about fans that follow the tour and follow him and follow his team and follow, nobody even knows who Cycling News is. They do now. Mm-hmm. They don't know who Barry Ryan, the journalist, is. Nobody knows him. Because you engaged him. They do now. Yeah. And they don't know about the coverage that Dave Brailsford doesn't like. But they do now. You know, something that, that I'd love for you to uh, elaborate on for everybody uh, listening or tuning in on Facebook. And I asked you that this morning. Because arguably, for good comparison, Tour de France is the, like the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. It's the biggest of big. And I asked Lance, I said, can you name another sport where the media gouges it so much during the peak of it? Yeah. Like, you, you wouldn't fathom this during the Super Bowl or Daytona 500 or whatever, where the media is just in the midst of it, just trying to rip the leader apart it's, or the, the, the event. That It's just so... Cri- Why is it so critical? Is that just a history of that? I, it's, I, I've never... Uh, coached in the Super Bowl or played in the Super Bowl. Oddly enough, today we have a guest sitting over here on the couch, Thomas Dimitrov, the the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. He can probably speak to it a lot better than me. I've never driven in Daytona. I've never played at Augusta. Well, I have played at Augusta, but I haven't <laughs> played in the Masters. Uh, so I'm sure that Thomas sitting over there or Tiger Woods, or I'm sure they look at the beat writer that's sitting there going, this guy can't break 100 on a golf course and he's, mm-hmm. you know, he weighs 300 pounds and he's treating me like shit. I'm sure that happens. And I, I think that has to happen. And, and, but look, it's tough to be on top. I don't care if you're playing for the Super Bowl, playing for a green jacket, trying to get the checkered flag or trying to get the yellow. It's the highest trees catch all the wind. We know that. And, uh, and when you when you're in the lead, and the, certainly in the lead, look at Froome with a solid three years. The critics just come, 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 come. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But I think uh, I give him credit. I think he's handled it. He's stayed away from it. He's stayed away from the Wiggins controversy. He stayed away from the Brailsford controversy. He's 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 he. You know, Teflon. I like it. Good for him. What? I think he's got. <laughs> I think he's got bigger problems in the next two days, but. It's just my sense. All right. Let's look at tomorrow. Anything we can watch for? No, tomorrow is a, is a true mountain day. 
And tomorrow's I I I, I, I will be up earlier tomorrow than I have for any other stage in this tour event. Tomorrow is this race is so close, and tomorrow is effing hard. Forget the first category too, but then you get right into the H, the horse category qualifier, super hard downhill, and then you hit this double whammy of Telegraph, slight downhill, and then the Glibier. It it is going to be, it could be an epic battle. Again, a downhill finish takes a little bit out of it. That downhill on the backside of the Glibier, which is technically called a different climb, that backside is called the Lotere. So that the Tour de France actually goes up that side from time to time. They don't call it the Galibier when you come up from that side. Typically, this stage is run exactly like this. You do the Quad Affair, Telegraph, Galibier, Descend, Take a Right, Alpe d'Huez. That's a traditional... But instead, when they get to the bottom of the Galibier tomorrow, they don't go right to Alpe d'Huez or Le Duz Alpes. They go left, which is a fast, straight, downhill finish headed towards Briançon. Typically, also, too, if they do this stage like this, they finish in Briançon, in the old medieval town. Up the cobbles, hard finish. But they actually finish way before Briançon. So a lot of things are going to... I mean, the downhill is sketchy. Roman Bardet is licking his chops. The thing he's got to hope for when he gets down and takes a left on the highway, headed towards the finish, he's got to hope he's got the wind going the right way. If the wind's in his face, they're coming right back. If there's a tailwind... And he's thinking yellow. Someone can stay away. Can stay wow. away. And then, by the way, two things. Number one, today was hard. Nervous and hard. And then number two, the day after this, we're finally back to a true uphill finish up the up the Isoard, the Col du Isoard, which is damn hard. Like Isoard, how... we used to call it is so hard. <laughs> well, looking at that summit and then the the downhill and the finish, like how much of a gap, as a fan, like how much of a gap should we be looking for at that point to think they even have a chance? You just don't know. He needs... And again, he needs I knew you already to, pointed out if it's a headwind or a tailwind, that makes a big difference. He needs 15 or 20 seconds, but uh, he... Uh, look at here. We got some... Hi, Pam. <laughs> We're on air. Would you... Oh, Todd DeBuff's here outside. Little cameo. I have 14 minutes. We have an 11 o'clock ride leaving from the house. I'm wondering if this Peloton out front thinks that they're coming on my 11 o'clock ride. Craig Lewis standing out there. There's a he was invited. slew of cyclists pawing at the studio waiting so, for Lance to get so out there. So back to a guy like Bardet. And it could be, look, it could be Mikel Landa. I mean, I, I, Don't rule him out. I, I would not at all rule him out. I meant what I said the other day. If I'm Chris Froome, I don't trust that guy. And by the way, too, not to keep beating up Dave Brailsford. Dave Brailsford, to take that guy to the tour who's leaving your team? Come on. Kind of asked for it, That's strike four. So uh, a guy like Bardet, if the winds help him on the run-in, he needs 10 or 15 seconds. But the biggest issue is if the group behind is organized or not. If they're unorganized, you got a chance. If they get organized then you don't really stand a chance. Judging from all of our comments coming in, uh, there's a lot of uh, Rigoberto Aran fans saying, yep. wait, just wait for him to pounce. Right. Could tomorrow be one of those days? It could be one of those days, and he, he can descend, and he can time trial. He's the, I mean, of all these guys, uh, if you look at Uran, Bardet, Aru, and Froome, Froome and Uran can time trial. 
The other two really can't. Although you never know when you put a yellow jersey on a guy on the final time trial, you'd be surprised. They always kind of figure out a way to time trial. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I think all these emails and letters and, and tweets and stuff we're getting about Iran are totally legit. Okay. I, I, he's, he can, I thought I'd said this already, but if I hadn't, I'm going to say it right now, he can definitely win this bike race. And by the way, the store's open. We got the store restocked. Get in there now. I know. I didn't. The store's I, getting hammered. It was, we, the first hour was, uh, we just don't, uh, we're not ordering, I don't know what we're doing, but <laughs> we're not, we're not retailers, but it's, the store is back online. We got it restocked, uh, at least as sufficiently as we thought was possible. Get in there and get your stuff now. Okay. We do shop.com. We do W-E-D-U shop.com. All right. Here's All right. Scott question. writes. Uh, one reason I find pro cycling uh, unattractive to other types of cycling is I can't decide whether it's a team or an individual sport. Well, it's it's a good question, but I hope it doesn't make it unattractive. It is a team sport. Having said that, and we try to talk about it all the time, and, and the leader and the winner of, of a stage or the overall, they always think their team. They reap praise on their team. At the end of the day, when, when the winner of the tour stands up in, in Paris, he stands up there alone. Yeah. And so that's the deceiving part. Now, there is a team classification. It doesn't mean very much. Uh, but there's one guy standing on the top step. Now, it's, it's up to him, as we talked about earlier in this tour, to basically donate all of the, the prize money to the team, say all the nice things he can about the team, perhaps even tip his team on top of it all. Um. And, and and there's other, you know, it's like the quarterback who who ha- has a great season or wins the MVP or, you know, he buys Rolexes for the for the mm-hmm. whole O-line or buys them a car. You know, it's, it's stuff like that that you have to do because being on a team in the tour is like being, you know, the right guard. Mm-hmm. That everybody at home's like, what did you do today? Who, who's that? Right. Who's that really right. big dude that lives next door to us? Oh, he plays right guard for the Dallas Cowboys and just won the Super Bowl. Are you like, oh, he did? Right. Wait, that's not Troy Aikman. So that's it's the same thing, and and it's it's thankless, and it, it's a great question. Okay, uh, Dale writes, Landa is a beast. They should just release him and let him fly. Yeah, they're not going to release him. I don't him. think so. No, I agree. He's a beast, and he looks the easiest uh, on these climbs. And it'll if he if he is as good as he looks, he's going to be soft pedaling the next two days. If he's following team orders, that then gets to the discussion of whether or not he's going to follow team orders. Matthew has a question about team cars. How many fender benders do those cars get into during the course of a race? They drive them like they're in NASCAR. They do. And you, does the team own those cars? So that you'd be surprised at how rare they, they crash or they run into each other. Yes, there's little things, and I've seen it a time or two, but the directors of these teams that are – not, I mean, their primary job is to communicate with the riders and dictate the tactics, but they also, too, while they're grabbing a radio and talking to the riders, watching the race on TV in front of them, they have to drive the car. And some of these days, like tomorrow, super sketchy, but they're great. You could not be a shitty driver and have that job. You'd have to, you'd have to sit shotgun, let, you know, one of the other directors who's a good, it's, it's technical. And so, Yes, they own the cars. The interesting thing is that years ago, when I first started doing the Tour de France, the Tour forced you to, to use their cars because they had a car sponsor. The Fiat was the car sponsor. So they forced you to drive these crappy Fiats. 
And then Coca-Cola was their sponsor, so they forced you to use Coca-Cola bottles, mm-hmm. which thankfully they went away from. Imagine if you were an American team and you got a call from Pepsi, hey, we want to sponsor your team, give you $20 bucks a year. You get all the way to the, like, the signing day, mm-hmm. and you go, hey, by the way, I know our jerseys and everything and the cars say Pepsi, but we're going to have Coke bottles on our bike. Yeah. They're like, what? So you just took that, or if you had yeah. Chevrolet, you just... So they've moved away from that, which is, is good. Makes sense. They don't completely own your ass. John asks, this is interesting, uh, you've mentioned how many uh, mechanicals Froome has had, and there's been a lot. Yep. You pointed that out. At what point, and is there a point, at what point do the other GC guys abandon or give up on some etiquette because he's having so many mechanicals? Do you sit up for everyone, no matter how it's many? Been, it's been one of the biggest debates this tour is like, what, this whole, all this gentleman's code, et cetera, et cetera, when does that stop? Um, uh, we'll, you know, you don't wish that on anybody, but we could see it. We could see it in the next two days. And it feels like, they're getting to this point where they just, they abandon all that. And I don't agree with it. I mean, I think case by case, they're all a little different, but it feels like that they're sick of it. And it also feels like the pundits and the, and the experts and the, and the coverage is, is not supporting it either. I take a slightly different position. Obviously, if if you're the yellow Jersey and you have a mechanical every day, that gets old. And after yeah. a while, you're like, oh, screw this. And that's what they're saying. At right. a certain point, that goes out the window if you keep having yeah. too many. Yeah, you're, that, that, I think that's a great point. Thomas writes, my best five summers were spent running alongside you guys with an, in an inflatable shark and whale. Do you remember those? Yes, dressed up as like an Amer- you know, like American, like Uncle Sam and shit. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There was this group of buddies. They were crazy. That's cool to hear from them. I think I got this right. I hope right back in. What's his name, Thomas? Thomas uh, Sable. Yeah. Let us. I, I believe they, they'd all be dressed up like, like these crazy Sam. stars and bars <laughs> outfits. Not truly Uncle Sam, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> right. That's funny. They were clearly Americans. And this is a simple question, but I think it's important. Uh, people are trying to understand racing better, and you're doing a lot to help them. Matthew writes, does the tour have any independent riders or is it always a team selection? Right. No, it's 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 always a team uh, selection. I don't at one point they were all individuals, but it was a long time ago. Modern cycling is is very much uh, a, a team sport and teams are selected to get to the tour. There's nine riders, although they're now taking that down to eight riders, a mistake. Um and so uh yeah, no, you can't you know, there's been talk over the years. Do they take the make the tour a, a, a race of national teams? So you have Spain versus Italy versus America versus France versus. Um, but for now, it's it's very much a uh, you know it is like NASCAR, right? It's sponsored by a, a corporation and and a team. It could be an American team with with no Americans on it. Yeah, or with one. But if you were an individual trying to enter into this, you wouldn't have much of a fighting chance anyway, would you? No. Without any of that, yeah. all that support, it's right. just not. But you even couldn't. Possible. You couldn't do that. But even if you could do it, it would not be. Oh, <laughs> uh, it wouldn't. Yeah, it right. would not be a fun three weeks. And uh, one last one. I know you've got a posse of people out there waiting for you to take them on a ride. Yeah. Emily writes. Now that you're back in Colorado, please do Boulder Dude again. <laughs> no. We love it. <laughs> uh, dude. <laughs> dude. That is Brailsford, man. What's he thinking, dude? <laughs> this guy. 
Dude needs to chill, bro. <laughs> she needs to chill, bro. That's all I'm saying. That's not a Taylor Finney impersonation. <laughs> this this was this Boulder dude came along long before. If you missed the podcast from Vecchio's in Boulder, that Boulder dude, Anna Hansen, my much much better half can tell you, Boulder dude's lived for like. You've 10 been years. torturing her yeah. with this for a long time. Dude, I was walking down Pearl Street, saw these street performers. This one guy. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought we we talked about making a Boulder Dude T-shirt, but I don't. Know. I think it'd be hot. I everybody loves Boulder Dude. Jerry Kelly actually mocked one up for us. The the long bar over the U and Dude. <laughs> Maybe we'll see it in the We Do Shop. By the way, replenish shop, yep. which I'm sure is going to get raided today. We Do Shop dot com. Ten percent of that yes. is going to World Bicycle Relief. Yep, and I think so. They had their goal for the month of July. Their goal was to do Bolchka. How many? Twenty five hundred bikes. Thirty two hundred. Thirty two hundred, and they've now given away seventeen hundred. Seventeen hundred sixty two bikes. So we got we're let's call it halfway through the month, more or less. So we got to rally people. So if you can, uh, not that you have to buy a, a, a stages T, but check out worldbicyclerelief.org, sign the pledge, give a little donation. They have a matching, a group of matching donors up to two hundred fifty thousand bucks. So let's get uh, let's get thirty two hundred bikes out to people uh, who need them the most. And I say it all the time, like that feeling of being able to throw your leg over a bike, whether you're eight years old or you're twenty eight, just trying to get to the to the store or to the school or to the hospital is is one of the most empowering feelings uh, you can give somebody. Very cool. And uh, stages that we do sport, again, it's wedusport.com. If your questions, your comments for the remaining podcast, we're not done. And stagespodcast.com if you want to share the RSS feed and get your friends to subscribe. And to all the people that are sending me New readers, I've really, they haven't gotten here yet, but I really appreciate it. These are janky. I mean, these are so ugly. I was, I was flying when I was on that shitty flight from Denver to here. They got turned around. I was in the last row, and the flight attendant was there, and I put these bad boys on to read the paper. And I said, what do you think of these, honey? And she's like, those are so cool. They're wood. I go, actually, they're like rubber. They're not. They, they're like fake rubber wood. It's. I was like, no, they're not cool. She's like, oh, they're not? I was like, no, feel them. <laughs> cool cheaters. You need some cool cheaters. Yeah, here we go. Some, hey, 48 some... just rolled up. Look, I'm late. I got, I got DeBuff out there, Craig Lewis, and then, then the 48 car just rolled up. All right, go hit it. All right, thanks. Peace. Peace.